Okay, um, this is the final shir of a very exciting week of the Meiyu Metanach. Uh, the shir is dedicated to the memory of Yonatan Adler, Zechat Sadiq Rebacha. The 30 Midot occupy a very prominent position in Jewish liturgy. They are the major motif of Slichot, which are recited on fast days, on the days preceding the high holidays. They are also the central theme in the portion chosen for the Torah reading of fast days. Why was this particular section chosen? What singular theme did our sages find expressed specifically here? I believe that the solution lies in a deeper appreciation of the scriptural context of the 13 Midot. We will therefore examine this section in order to achieve a more profound understanding, which in turn will hopefully lead to a more informed, inspired, and meaningful Avodat Hashem whenever we recite Slichot. However, we'll begin with a perplexing Gemara, which is the source of the selection of these 13 Midot. In the first source, the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah, Vayavar Hashem al Panav Vayikra, Amar Ab Yochanan, Imale Mikra Katuv Yef Shalom Ro, had it not been for an explicit Pasuk or Yef Shalom Ro, we wouldn't be able to make such a suggestion. Malamechnit Atev Hakadosh Baruch Hu Kishliach Tzibur, Hakadosh Baruch Hu wrapped himself with a talus like a Shliach Tzibur, Veralo the Moshe Seder Tfilah, and he showed Moshe how to. You know, how to daven. Amalo calls manch Yisrael chotim yasul fanai kaser azeh. Whenever Yisrael sin, this is what they should do. Vani mochelahem, and I'll forgive them. Hashem Hashem, ani ukodem sheichta adam. Vani hu laachar sheichta adam. The repetition of Hashem twice, Hashem before man sins, as well as Hashem after man sins. Laachar sheichta adam v'yaseh tshuva. After man sins and repents. Amr of Yehuda, Rav Yehuda then said, "Brit krutal There's a covenant that was forged with a third midot. They don't return empty-handed. Shnemar hine anochi brit. The pasuk which immediately follows the third midot, hine anochi brit. I hereby am making a covenant. There are certain things that we notice from this Gemara. First of all, the suggestion of Rabbi Yochanan is bold and shocking. We need an explicit verse. The fact that, you know, place Hakarish Baruch Hu, as it were, is there in the presence of Moshe wrapped in a talus. The anthropomorphic uh, description of Hakarish Baruch Hu here is a very, very bold description. Uh, another thing which is interesting is tefillah normally is rooted in man. Man praying to God. Sometimes our tefillot are accepted, sometimes they're not accepted. And over here you have a tefillot which is dictated by Hashem. And furthermore, it will not go unanswered. There's a, there's a covenant. Uh, which is also very surprising. Normally in our Avodah Hashem, we don't have things that are automatic. I don't know about you, but Nana Nachman Me Oman doesn't work for me. And we don't have incantations. You say words, and no, not for me. And and and, and it have, works automatically. Why and how does this feel work? Why is it effective? 
What's its meaning? And what does it mean when it says, had not been for an explicit scripture, we couldn't have said it. Is it really so explicit? The drasha vayavar Hashem uh, is because the shliach tzibur is called over lefnei teva. Uh, at the time the Torah was written, there was no over lefnei teva. It's a very anachronistic uh, drasha. And uh, therefore, you really don't have an explicit pasuk. And uh, so you have a very a Gemara that's really very perplexing, and and we'll try to explain the Gemara. But we'll begin with really the source of the Yigil Midot, as I said, the, the biblical context, which is uh, found in Parshat Kitisa. So you have over here the, the context. Uh, what I'd like to do beforehand, actually, is compare the first Luchot with the second Luchot. The 13 Midot are in the second Luchot. And uh, first of all, what I want you to notice is that when you have the second Luchot, they're patterned after the first Luchot. Um, both have Anan. This is the first Luchot over here, and this is the second. Both have Vayunachonin, Vayenachon. Uh, the term Nachon as be prepared uh, is found nowhere else in Torah except for in these two places. You have Vaityatsu, Nitzavta, Vaityatsev. You have the term Vaityatsev. So you have clearly the, 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 the Pasuk repeats itself, or the Pasha repeats itself. It's reminiscent of the first Luchot. But what interests me more is not the comparison, but rather the contrast. First of all, the first thing that we notice is that as opposed to the first Aserta de Brot, the first Luchot, which was given to all of Am Yisrael, that the entire people should hear. And Vayunachonim is in the plural. Vayitatsu Tahar is in the plural. When we get to the second Luchot, Vayyenachon, it's only to Moshe Rabbeinu, in the Yachid, it's it's uh, not where the entire people are, but rather why? Nobody else comes with you. It's given to Moshe Rabbeinu alone. It's all in the singular. Moshe Rabbeinu, Akharish Baruch is not there. Now, why is this significant? First of all, it's significant because the whole idea of the Luchot Luchot are referred to, uh, the day of Mamar HaSinai is referred to Yom HaKahal. If you want to know, it's not Shavuos, it's not, it's called Yom HaKahal. In Dvarim, Vayitain Hashem Elai Shnei Luchot Avanim Ketuvim Be'etzpalokim Kechol Advim HaShedibay Hashem Mechem Biyom Mitoch Eish Biyom HaKahal. Gathering the entire people, we know the famous Drasha, Vayichan Shem Yisrael Negrahar, Ishachad Levachad, the entire people are there. Am Yisrael reveals himself, to the entire people. The great testimony of the truth of the Torah is because Am Yisrael all were there and all heard uh, the Aser Tadibot directly from HaKadosh Baruch It's Yom HaKahal. And the whole idea of the Luchot, which were later implanted in the Mishkan and then the Mikdash, which is the heart of the Mikdash, is because, as the Ramban says, the Mishkan is a way of eternalizing the Sinai experience. You take Vinea Mishkan, 
You have the same Shechina that appeared to all of Am Yisrael at Har Sinai, and you implant it in the Mishkan. And then the Rabban has a lot of comparisons, uh, textual comparisons between Mikdash, Mishkan, and between Har Sinai. In the Mishkan it says, Kvod Hashem Aleyat HaMishkan, so in a few different places says that Mishkan and Mikdash is the continuation and the eternalization of Mamad HaSinai. Of course, in order to do that, you take Luchos that the entire people heard and you place that in the Mikdash. The Luchos Shlios were given in private. So the truth is, Luchos Shlios are a recreation, a reincarnation of the first Luchot it was as just like the first luchot you have the second luchot which is a recreation a reincarnation of the first luchot but nevertheless the fact that it was given privately is very very interesting they didn't have another Mamar Harsinai why? But what interests me more at the moment are sorry are uh, are other differences and uh, first of all the second Luchot as opposed to the first Luchot were not made by a Kaddish Baruch Hu. They were written by a Kaddish Baruch Hu the first Luchot Luchot Maaseh Elohim they were made by God, and then God wrote, The second Psalacha, Moshe Rabbeinu, you take the rock, and you create the Luchot. Then HaKadosh Baruch Hu writes, That's one difference. And the second difference is, what's the context of the first Luchot, and what's the context of the second? With what, what were the words, the divine words, that, that came together with the first Luchot? What was the divine Dibor that came with the second Luchot? Hashem, Hashem, Kel Rachum V'chanum. The 13 Midot. Okay. In order to appreciate that distinction, was the second Luchot, it's not that God said to Moshe Rabbeinu, Anoch Yashem Lokecha, Lo Yelcha. He said, Hashem, Hashem, Kel Rachum V'chanum. That is the divine revolution that comes along with the second luchot. What does it say in the second luchot? Anochi lo yelcha kabedet avicha vetimecha. But what was the divine dibor that came with the second luchot? Hashem, Hashem kel rachum v'chanun. That's very, very significant. Um, in order to appreciate the significance, what we have to do is take a look at what, what I call Brit Sinai, the covenant of Sinai. What is the Brit Sinai? In uh, the Brit Sinai is mentioned not in Yitro, but rather at the end of Mishpatim, in these Psukim. He took half the dam, and on, on the part of it was placed on the, sprinkled on the people, part on the Mizbeach. He took the book of the covenant, and he read it to the entire people. The great statement of Naseven Shema 
was said right after HaKadosh Baruch Hu read the Sefer Abed. It wasn't Anochi Lo Yelecha by Mamar Asinai. It was later on in Mishpatim when, when, when Moshe Rabbeinu reads the Sefer Abrit, and you have a covenant between HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Amishel, Brit Sinai, not Mamar Asinai, but Brit Sinai, the covenant of Sinai. You read the Sefer Abrit. And then Moshe took half the dam and he sprinkled on the people, half the dam on the Zbeach, and that was the Brit. That was the covenant. What was written in the Sefer Abrit? What, 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 was, what does it say in the Sefer Abrit? It's a big, big machlokas among the Mepharshim, among the Midrashim. In uh, source number two, you have the Ibn Ezra. The Ibn Ezra says that the Sefer Abrit, what was written there? The Brachos and Klalos, what we call the Tochacha, in Bichu Kosai. Take a look at um, the second paragraph over here. It's uh, from the Tochacha in Devarim, in Kitavo. If you listen to God, if you don't listen to God. And then it says at the end of the entire section, these are the words of the covenant. Aside from the covenant of Sinai, this was the Brit of Moab. So the Brit of Chorev of Sinai should be something parallel to the Brit of Avot Moab. Something similar. Where do you have a section that's similar to, uh, to Brachot and Kolot? The answer is Bechul Kotai. And Bechul Kotai says, this are the mitzvot that were given by Har Sinai. So the Ibn Ezra in source number two, Eim muktam umucha batorah, things in the Torah are not written in chronological order, Vizoa parsha, in Vayikra, Bechul Kotai, Kodem Vayikra, this was given before Vayikra, this was given in Mishpatim, V'chol parshiot shem acharav, ki adivo b'har Sinai, this was said at Har Sinai, V'ata karat habrit haktuva b'parshat ve'el Mishpatim, this is the covenant of Ve'el Mishpatim. That's the position of the Ibn Ezra. The Ramban argues on the Ibn Ezra. The Ramban, in source number three, uh, says, dati, in my opinion, Ki kan anachon, ki bahar the Sefer Abrit mentioned in Mishpatim was written before the 40 days that he went up to receive the Torah. Before the Chet HaEgel. When they sinned in the Chet HaEgel, and the Luchot the, were broken, the tablets were broken, the first covenant was annulled. The Luchot Habit, Luchot, which are the Luchot of the covenant, were broken. The Brit was annulled. When God was appeased, it doesn't mean the New Testament, it means another covenant. And he quotes the passage that we saw before, after Yudgil Midot, I hereby am making another Brit, another covenant. So he, there was a repeat of many of the Mitzvot in Mishpatim. And then he gave the second Brit together with Brachot and Kolot. In other words, after 
the disaster of the Chet Egel, a new covenant had to be made, and the second covenant comes with Brachot Kolot. So the first Sefer Abit, that's Mishpatim, that's something else. But the second Sefer Abit has the same thing, but it also adds the Tochacha Brachot Kolot that you have in the Chukotai. So when it says, Eile Divrei Abit, in Dvarim, that was made in Arvot Moav, Milvar Abit it's referring to a different Brit in Chorev. There are two different covenants in Chorev. One pre-Egel and one post-Egel. The post-Egel Brit that was still in Chorev, they were still in Midbar Sinai, they were still around the Har. They didn't leave till the next year. After the Cheta Egel, and after they, they established the Mishkan, then there was another covenant. That was also Brit Chorev. And the, the Brachot and Kalot of Parshat Bahar are the second covenant, the post-Egel covenant. But the pre-Egel covenant was destroyed. It was annulled. Why was it annulled? Because Am Yisrael sinned in the Chet Egel. The first Brit was based on Anochi, Lo Yelacha, and then they went ahead and had a Chet Egel. The first Brit was annulled. But there was a second Brit. So that's the, the reading of the Ramban. Um, and at first glance, the, what has to be added in the Sefkin Brit are, are, is, is punishment in case you do bad because HaKadosh Baruch Hu already realized that there's a possibility of Chet Egel. So the second covenant is, is more severe as opposed to the first covenant. But there's another side of things. And if you take a look at source number four, Write these words. Hanachon be'enai, what seems right in my my opinion, ki ba'avur she Yisrael heim hachotim vavrim alabit. Since Yisrael violated the covenant, hutzach hakadosh baruch hu lachadesh l'mbit chadasha, God had to make another covenant. Shelo yafer hu lahem bito so that they shouldn't be able to annul the second Brit. And therefore Moshe had to write the conditions. Which is also, according to Ramban, a reference to the new covenant that was made, the post-Egel covenant, that Israel. Here, the Ramban is not talking about a more sincere covenant, a severe covenant, but he's talking about a covenant that I would say is sin-proof. In other words, something that can survive sin. And uh, what I think the Ramban is referring to here is that there, the fir- or the first covenant, why, why was it made? I mean, God knew it would feel, fail. God knew it would be broken. And the answer is that the first covenant is an ideal. It's an ideal that maybe human beings can't live up to. But it's important to have an expression of that ideal, even if it's not attainable. Because it inspires us, it motivates us. What should we be, be trying to achieve? The first Ruchot might not be able to survive human frailty. But nevertheless, there is a first covenant. But there's also a second covenant which relates to the human condition. People 
have fears, people have jealousies. There are reasons that human beings, that Amisal failed when Moshe Rabbeinu refused to return. And they, they failed. And it was a Chet ego. Taking into account the human condition, there has to be a covenant that's able to be resistant of human failings. That even if man falls down, the covenant no longer can continue to exist. So you have to make a second covenant. That second covenant is a covenant that has all kinds of conditions that allows for failure. What's the first covenant? The words that surround the first covenant are Anochi, Lo Yelacha, God's absolute existence, nothing else exists. Those are absolutes. Those are an ideal. But what are the words that surround and join the second covenant? Hashem Hashem, Kerachum Vachanun. I'm God before hate, but I'm also God, I'm also there. Lachar Sheikhta Adam, after man sins and repents. God is still there. Man might sin, man might fall. It doesn't mean that the second covenant is destroyed. The second covenant survives. The second covenant deals with human reality. Not with some kind of an ideal, but human reality. The tension between ideal and between the real. Um, for instance, take a look at Rashi, source number five. Rashi is referring to the fact that at the beginning of the Torah, it says, Bereshit Barai Elokim. Elokim is normally referenced to Midat Hadin. Vuloma Barach Shem. It says, Barai Elokim. God initially intended to create the world the way things should be, absolute. Then God realized that the world can't survive. And therefore it says in the second paragraph, so in the first passage because it deals with some heavenly ideal which can't survive here on earth and then all of a sudden God realized what did he think originally originally he, he didn't realize that of course the marriage doesn't mean all of a sudden God made a mistake and he realized and he had to make corrections that's not what the marriage is trying to say the Medrash is trying to say that there's room for for having some expression of an ideal even if it can't be maintained. Later on we'll make adjustments so that the world can survive. But nevertheless there is some realm in which that ideal expresses itself. That realm is in the first passage of the Torah et Later on, that doesn't work. It doesn't work in our world. When you create man that has Bechira Chavshis, Vayitzer, Tu Yud, Yitzer Tov, Yitzer it doesn't survive. And therefore, beyond Bro Hashem Lokim, Eretz Veshamayim. So you have a dialectic, you have the Torah has, wants to have some way of expressing an ideal, even if later on it has to be tempered with, the express, with, with something which expresses human reality, human frailty. 
the realities of the human condition. It's interesting, source number six, that the Gemara says, Luchot v'shivrei luchot v'nachopa aron. Because the aron contains not only the second luchot that remained intact, but the first luchot, even though they were broken, even though they can't survive here in this world, they don't remain intact, they're also in the aron. There's room in the aron for both. Both for the ideal and for the real. Both for the ideal and the pragmatic. There's room for both. Both are needed. Both the luchot ishonot and the luchot shniot. The first covenant that can't survive, it can't survive human weakness, it can't survive human failings, it doesn't survive the ego, but there's need for a second covenant that can survive human failings. So what were the first luchot? They were made by God. It was divine. From beginning to end it was divine. It was made by God. Not only the message of God, but it was made by God. Divine existence, divine reality. The second luchot, salacha. It's luchot that are made by man. It has the message of God, but it's made by man. It deals with the human context, the human reality. Those are the second luchot. The first luchot are given to the entire people. They might not be on the level of Moshe Rabbeinu, they might not be on the level that they can really appreciate Nevoah. But they're given to the higher people. The second luchot that deals with human reality is given to Moshe and Moshe alone. And it's given not with Anochi lo yelacha, but rather with Yidgyom Midot, Hashem Hashem, Ani Hashem Lefneachet, Vani Hashem Lacha Shechta Adam. I'm still there for you. Lacha Shechta Adam, Viachzor Betshuva. Let's take a look, a closer look at Pashapah Kotai, uh, which is what the Ramban claims. This is what was added to the second covenant, the post-Egel covenant. And the first thing that we notice, or that I want to point out, I've, I skipped a lot, it's much longer than this, but what I put in bold is a constant refrain, Im telchu imi keri, this idea of keri. And what does keri mean? What keri means, and it's referring to, is that if Am Yisrael sin, in the Chukot time to Asu, Am Yisrael sin, so God's going to punish them. God will punish Bnei Yisrael. Is, what's the point of that punishment? The point of that punishment is to notice and to realize that God is communicating with you. And therefore, what you have to do is the proper conclusions of that communication. Tefillah, repentance, change your ways. In other words, if we have a covenant that's supposed to survive human failings, it doesn't mean do whatever you want and God's there with you. It means the second covenant takes into account that you will fail. It will happen. But God hasn't given up on you. God is there. God's not going to give you reward. He'll punish you. But the point of the punishment is not simply to penalize. 
The point of the punishment is to realize that this is an act of God. God is speaking to you. God is expecting you to do something. But there's a danger. What happens if you claim it's Kerry? Kerry, the Rambam explains, is Mikre. It just happened. It's not divine. It's not God. Things happen. There could be a war. There could be famine. There could be an earthquake. Who says it's God? Maybe it's just, just happened. It's Kerry. And therefore, Valach may be Kerry. And you'll get worse calamities will before you. And therefore, the the idea of the second covenant is in, is that when God does bring a calamity, when we when we when we're deserving of God punishing us, it's not simply for the sake of punishment, but it's for the sake of survival of the bris that we should repent and come back. And the worst thing that you can do is just ignore and say it just happened. This is the source of Tanis. Take a look at source number seven. Mitzvat HaSeim in HaTorah L'Zok U'Lariya B'Chatzotzot HaKol Tzor Shetavol HaTzibur The, it's based on the following pasuk. When in Baalot, God tells Moshe Rabbeinu to make chatzotzot, to make trumpets. Make silver trumpets. So the first primary reason is because it's needed for the march towards Eretz, Eretz Canaan. To gather them, to start marching. But I think you have a very interesting Pasuk. <laughs> if a war befalls you, if some other calamity befalls you, then you have to blow the trumpets. And you'll be saved. The Rabbim writes, this is a mitzvah in Torah. Mitzvah tasseh in Torah, lizok ularia. First of all, the Rabbim added here not only to blow the trumpets, but lizok, to pray, to call out in prayer to HaKadosh Baruch Al kol tzar shetavol tzibor, whenever a calamity happens to the entire nation, shne'emar al atzar otzerer etchem v'ariyotem b'chatzotzot. Kolomar, kol davar she'atzelechem, any calamity that befalls you, kigom batzoret, dever, arbe, famine, plague, uchyotzebehem, zaku alem v'ariyu. Cry out to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and blow the trumpets. V'davar zem yidarche atshuva. This is the ways of repentance. Shebizman shetavot tzarav yizaku alea v'yariyu. When a tzara happens and you call out to Hakadosh Baruch Hu and you blow the trumpets, that's the way of broadcasting to everybody that we failed. And this will cause the tzara to go away. If you ignore it, if you say it just happened, 
Okay, things happen. There are earthquakes. It not, has nothing to do with what we did. This is a way of, of gross insensitivity. God is speaking to you, communicating with you, and you're ignoring it. By ignoring it, then you don't change. You don't absorb the message. You don't change. You continue doing what you did in, in the past. Inertia. And therefore, more calamities will befall you. If you react to me, Bikeri, saying it all just happened, my reaction to you will be in the same vein. I'll react with anger based on your reaction of Kerry. Since your reaction was one of Kerry, therefore my reaction will be anger, Kaviyacho, and therefore you'll have worse calamities will befall you. The uh, Ram continues, and it's not on this, the, uh, the, uh, the page. When we did a self from the Ram continues, Midrabanan, I'll call Tsar Shetavala Tzibur, when Tsar happens to the Tzibur, I'm sorry. What we have to do is fast. In other words, fasting. This is brought down the Raman Hilchot Taniyot. Midoraita, the mitzvah say midoraita is when a calamity happens, you blow the trumpets and you and you daven to Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Midivrei sofrim, you fast. So we talk about a Tanit Sibur. What basically is a Tanit Sibur? Tansibur is a day of tefillah. What kind of tefillah? Is there a word for the tefillah that we say on a Tansibur? Slichot. Slichot? You could have said anenu, which would have also been right, but slichot. The, the, the tefillah that we add on a Tansibur is slichot. The center motif of slichot is Yodgil Milot Rachamim. Hashem Hashem Kel Rachum Vachanun. We have piyutim that are said before, piyutim after. We have vidoy at the end. We have aneinu Hashem aneinu. The central and most important motif of sichot is Hashem Hashem Kel Rachum V'chanan. So first of all, when a cloudy happens, the first thing is okularia sichot. That's that's what the Torah tells us. Sichot. We fast. But the essence is not fasting. The essence is a way to stop the ordinary daily routine and think and reflect and realize that this is God and therefore cry out to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The essence of a Yom Tanit is is really a Yom Tefillah. It's a day of prayer, a day of Slichot. And therefore Anenu really is also very, very central to, to a Tanit. Well, let's take another look at the uh, the Tochacha. The parsha begins in Bechukatayim Asu, Mishpat Mishpatay Tig Al Nafshechem, Levolti Asot Et Kol Metzotay Lafachem Epriti. 
if you will ma'asu English despise despise the chukim of Hakadosh Baruch Hu tegal nafshechem is a synonym ma'afrechem epiti you attempt at annulling the covenant with Hakadosh Baruch Hu so then terrible things will happen carry terrible things happen what happens at the end of this whole process when the tocha ends how does it end Finally, it'll get so bad, it might even end up in destruction of the Beis HaMikdash and going into exile. Right? It began those verbs are repeated at the end and it says things have come to the so far and you haven't returned that it led to eventually destruction of the base of Mikdash. Nevertheless, Afgam Zopiotam Be'otzaivihem Loma Astim God in relation to us has not become disgusted with us. Altim in other words, what is the 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 bottom line of Bechu Kosai? It's not it's not what we call Brachotu Kolot. It's that no matter what, how far you go, God is there, and eventually you're going to return. And this Brit, the second Brit, cannot be annulled. That's the entire point. There's a second bit that's that's sin-proof, that survives all the failings of Am Yisrael. And it can get terrible to the point of destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. But the bit is eternal. Because the second covenant takes into account human failings, takes into account human reality, takes into account the fact that people will tend to ignore HaKadosh Baruch when he speaks to them. And nonetheless, the bottom line is HaKadosh Baruch will not annul the bris. That's, I think, the most critical pasuk in the entire Tochacha. It's not the punishment, but it's the fact that the Brit will never be annulled. So let's go back to what the Yudgil Midot are. The Yudgil Midot are the second covenant. The first covenant comes with Anochi, Lo Yelacha. And the second covenant, the second Luchot, Hine Anochi Korek Brit, comes with what? Hashem, Hashem Kalrach Mechanun, Ani Hashem Lefneachet, Vani Hashem Laacha Shechta Adam, Vyachzor B'Tshuva. When it says Hine Anochi Korek Brit, the second covenant, the second luchot with the second covenant, is talking about not a repetition of the first bit, it's talking about a totally different bit, which deals with human reality, which despite the failings of Amishal will not be annulled. The second bit is the bit of Va'afkam Zopiotam Beratsavihem Lomastim Vlogaltim Vichalotam Lafer Bitiitam. 
the second brit will not be annulled. Based on the above, let's try to understand what are slichot. When we say slichot, what are slichot? The Torah repeats the second also. It, the Torah goes on and talks about the second one as well. But the, again, Ve'et Hanan, you didn't come to the show I gave last year. You didn't come to the show I gave last year. <laughs> you didn't come to the shear that I gave last year. Sorry. <laughs> uh, the, the point of Moshe Rabbeinu in, uh, in, in Ve'et Hanan is to instill within the people the truth of the Torah, that all Torah is divine. The proof that all Torah is divine is the not the first Brit, but Mamad Har Sinai. There's an accent not on the first Brit, but on Mamad Har Sinai. Right? That's Mamad Har Sinai. I'm talking about the covenant. Okay? All right, uh, that was last year's year. Okay, when we say slichot, right? What 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 is the Gemara trying to say? Right? Again, it's a very very perplexing Gemara. It talks about Rabbi Yochan God wrapping himself in a towel. What what is the Gemara trying to say? And what is the essence of slichot? And what does it mean? You say these words, and and it's going to work. You say these words and that's fine, everything's going to work and, 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 and that's it, God forgives you. What does it mean? They will never return empty-handed. My Judaism doesn't have saying words and they work. So what does it mean? It means you say these words but also you understand the meaning of the words. Hashem Hashem, Ani Hashem Vani Hashem Adam in other words, the idea is the idea of the second covenant. The essence of Sichot is the second covenant. The covenant that says, even if you did hate, God is there with you. The context of the Yudgil Midot or what precedes Yudgil Midot, is this section. Vayomer, after Cheta Egel, and after Moshe Rabbeinu prays for forgiveness, Moshe Rabbeinu says to Hashem, Hareini nas kvodecha, show me your glory. Vayomer, HaKadosh Baruch Hu answers, Ani avir kol tuvi al panecha, vikarati b'shem Hashem panecha, my glory will pass over you, over your countenance, and I will call out in the name of Hashem before you. I will forgive those that need forgiveness. Then HaKadosh Baruch says, However, you won't be able to see my face. Obviously, HaKadosh Baruch doesn't have a face, and we're talking about metaphors. There's no direct experience of, or full experience of God's glory. It will be something indirect. Lo panai ki lo yirani hadam vachai. Man can't see God and survive. Vayom Hashem hinei makom iti. 
v'nitzavta al atzor. There's a place with me, and you will be placed. Again, that verb v'nitzavta al atzor on the rock. Vayaba avor kvodi, as my glory passes before you, v'samtiha benekrat atzor, I will place you in a nook in the in the rock. V'sakoti chapi alecha arovi, and I will cover you with my hand until I pass by. Vesarti et kapai, et kapi, and I will take my hand away. Vraita tachorai, you will see my back. Ufanai lo yirau, you will not see my front. Okay, we don't know what back is, we don't know what front is, we don't know what hand is, we don't know, we don't understand any of these things, but we do understand one thing. That what Moshe Rabbeinu is asking for is to experience God in the most profound sense possible. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu is granting that wish to the extent that a human being is able. Something indirect, back, not front, hidden, not hidden, God is there, Moshe Rabbeinu will experience God, but not fully because it's impossible. When was this done? When was this accomplished? At what point did Akash Baruch reveal his glory to Moshe Rabbeinu to the extent humanly possible? You have the exact same verbs. It's, this is where the promise of HaKadosh Baruch Hu of Anochi Avir I will show you my glory this is where it was, it was fulfilled. So again, the metaphors we can't understand. But let's try to understand what Rabbi Yochanan is saying with his anachronistic drasha, Vayavor Hashem Kishliach Tzibur, wrapped in a talus. Ilmole Mikra Kasev had it not been something explicit in the Torah, Eif Shalom Amra, we wouldn't possibly be able to, to say such, such a thing. What is Rabbi Yochanan saying and what is the essence of Slichos? First of all, Slichos, Yudgel Midos are only said in a minion. They're not said in private. There's the question whether you're allowed to say it or not allowed to say it, you're allowed to say it as Psukim or not, but Yudgel Midos are only said in a minion. Yudgel Midos reflect the second covenant. The second covenant was with who? Am Yisrael, not with any individual, Jewish or not Jewish. There's no covenant with any individual. The promise of the Yudgel Midot, the covenant of the Yudgel Anochi Koret, Brit, Neged Kol Amcha The Brit was with the entire people. A minion is representative of Am Yisrael. It's a microcosm of Am Yisrael. The Brit, the possibility of Sichot, is only possible 
within the context of a tzibur. Okay, that's number one. Second of all, the idea that's being expressed in the Yudgel Midot In the piyutim that we say that precede Yivgal Midot, that when we say Yivgal Midot, what, what are we saying? That we should be covered by the wing of God like on that day, on that great day. What great day? The day that Moshe Rabbeinu Experienced Harein Nas Kodecha by Kel Horeta Lanu Lamash Shloshesrei, God that taught us to say Shloshesrei, Zechol and Ayom Brit Shloshesrei. Remember the covenant of Shloshesrei, Kodatul and Mikedem, like you taught the Anna of Moshe Rabbeinu Mikedem, Kemoshe Katu Vayer Hashem Ba'anan. God came down on the Anan, second Luchot, Vaikatsev Imosham. God is there with us. What Rabbi Yochan is trying to say is that the idea of the Yirgil Midos of Slichos, the idea of Eno Chozot Reikam, is that God is wrapping himself like a Shliach Tzibor. Well, let me ask you another question. What are the Yirgil Midos? What are they? Is it appealing to God's mercy? We call it Yudgel Milot Rachamim. But what are the Yudgel Milot, really? If we go back to the original scriptural te- context, the Yudgel Milot are God's attributes. Hmm? No. God's attributes. It's the essence of God. Now, God isn't broken up into 13 component parts. But man can't appreciate the, the totality of what God is. So in order for man to understand, it has to be broken down into components for us to understand. We can't understand how Din and Rachamim go together. So we have Kel and we have Rachum. So God you know, th- there has all these attributes, whether they're positive attributes or whether they're negative attributes, and what the attributes mean. My, my colleague Rabbi wrote a whole sefer to do, go ahead and try to describe what the Yudgil Milot are. But that's not where I am. The point is Yudgil Milot are attributes. It's the essence of God. It's God, God reveals to Moshe Rabbeinu who he is. Moshe Rabbeinu is there, Benikrat Tzor, experiencing it, but this is what he experiences. It's revelation. Yudgil Milot are not appealing to God's mercy. It's revelation. God is there with Moshe Rabbeinu. And Moshe Rabbeinu is experiencing God. Haraini nas kvodecha is not praise. God doesn't praise himself. It doesn't make any sense. I will call out my name. My name is who I am. In other words, it's a way in which a human being can relate to the essence of God. Not in his essence, but his name. 
It's something that you can say, repeat, describe. It's something that's, that, that, can, that, that, that can be expressed by the human tongue and can be understood by the human ear. That's what Yulgum Midot are. Midot are not, it's not, it's attributes. And therefore the whole idea of Yulgum Midot is, the, is, is revelation. Moshe Rabbeinu experiences revelation by Avar Hashem Opanav Ha'ikra Hashem Hashem Kelrachum Ruchanan. The pinnacle of revelation that's possible for any human being. And when we, on a fast day, recite Yirgil Midos as part of, within the context of Slichos, or as part of, of Kriya Satoru, what are we saying? What is Rabbi Yochanan saying that God wrapped himself in a talus? Is it be taken literally or figuratively? What is Rabbi Yochanan saying? That the essence of the message of the Kalend of Yirugel Midos is that if we return, if we repent, God is still there with us. That's exactly what he's saying. He was far from us because of our sins. But if we repent, He's there with us. That's the promise of the Yirgil Midot. That's the covenant. The covenant will never be broken. It just takes a step on your part. And if you do, God is there with you. And that's the essence of repentance. That the covenant is still intact. And God is still there with us. And that's really what Slichot is. It's not appealing to God's mercy. It's the promise, the covenant, that God has with Am Yisrael as a nation, that no matter what we do, God is there with us, and the covenant will not be broken. And Rabbi Yochanan describes in such a beautiful way it's as if HaKadosh Baruch Hu was wrapped himself in talus when the Shliach Tzibor says Hashem Hashem Kalrachum Lachanon HaKadosh Baruch Hu is there in that room not seen hidden hidden in a talus nobody sees him but he's there it just takes one thing on your part Tshuva and God is there with you the role of Yogel Midos plays an especially singular role in the liturgy of Yom Kippur. In Yom Kippur, Slichot are normally said after tefillah is over. And again, when we talk about tefillah, there are two types of tefillah. There's tefillah which are, which we do out of a sense of worship. We worship God by davening every day. Shachris, Mincha, Marev, Musaf. That's standard tefillah, which according to Ramam is Doraisa, according is not Doraisa. But everybody agrees that there's a mitzvah of tefillah be'et sarah. When, when a calamity happens, and to cry out to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that there's a mitzvah of tefillah be'et sarah, which is the mitzvah of slichot, that everybody agrees. The Ramban, who argues on the Rambam, and says there's no mitzvah of davin every day, agrees that there's a mitzvah of davin when man is in distress. To call out to God when man, when, when man is in distress. 
That tefillah certainly exists. On a tanis, so we separate the two. We daven shachris, and after davening, we, we say slichot. But in Yom Kippur, the Yudgeon Midos and the Piyutim are part of Chazar Sashatz. I mean, there are different minhagim exactly when you say it. Do you say in Shachos and Musaf or don't you? But the, the, the uh, Yudgeon Midos and the Slichos and the Ila, they're part of Chazar Sashatz, they're part of the Fila itself. And on Yom Kippur, it plays a very, very central role. And let's go back to the scriptural context of the Yudgeon Midos and try to understand why. When were the when were the Yudgeon Midos given? No, I don't think so. Maybe. I, I think they were given at the beginning of the forty years, the forty days, which would be Rosh Chodesh Elul, which might be the Minagosfad to begin Slichos Rosh Chodesh Elul. But when did we receive the Yudgeon Midos? When did we receive the second Luchos that came along with the Yudgeon Midos? According to Pshutos Shomikra, Pesolach Hashti Luchot Avinim Kavishonim, right? And Moshe Rabbeinu goes up. This is at the beginning of the 40 days. Vayavar Hashem Apanav HaYikra Hashem Hashem Karachim Luchanan. I know there are Mufashim that say otherwise, but the way I read Pshutos Shomikra, your Gimliyus were given to Moshe Rabbeinu at the point that he received those, those second Luchos. He was there for 40 days. You know, it sounds like immediately he, he, he received them. He didn't come down until 40 days later which is on Yom Kippur, according to Chazal, which is on Yom Kippur. And that's when Am Yisrael received the Yud Midos. Or that's when Am Yisrael received the Luchos Shniyos. That's when Am Yisrael received the, the, the second covenant is fulfilled to Am Yisrael at what point? On Yom Kippur. Moshe Rebbe comes down. When the people see Moshe Rabbeinu, what do they see? When they look at Moshe Rabbeinu, what do they see? What? Karan or Panav. Bidda Broito. Karan or Panav. Vayavarshim or Panav Ayikra. The connection that I make is that it was at that moment of Vayavarshim or Panav that Karan or Panav, Bidda Broito. In other words, Amisel receive or experience the Midos when Moshe Rabbeinu comes down with the second Luchot and they look at Moshe Rabbeinu Kikaran or Panav. Yom Kippur is the day in which we receive the second Luchot. Yom Kippur is the day in which the second covenant with Amisel is completed. And Yom Kippur is the day in which we receive through Moshe Rabbeinu, through Karan or Panav, the Yud Gyalmidot. The idea, the essential idea of Yom Kippur, and the type of, and the kapara that you have of Yom Kippur, can be expressed by one phrase Lifnei Hashem Titaru. The purity of Am Yisrael, the, the kapara that we receive is a kapara of Lefnei Hashem Titaru. The whole idea of Yom Kippur, according to some people, the fact that we fast, the Chamesh Sinuyim, according to some, it's because to elevate ourselves 
to rise above our human reality and to become as malachim, as it were, and to be able somehow with the coin gadol. How does, what, what, the, what does Yom Kippur in the Mikdash? What did the coin gadol do? He didn't bring a carbon on the mizbeach outside, but he went into the inner sanctum, the Hashem The essence of the kapara of Yom Kippur is one of lefnei Hashem Tataru is one of HaKadosh Baruch Hu is there with us. And that's the essence of the Kapara of Yom Kippur. That is Luchoshnios. That is Yirgei Omidos. Hashem Hashem God is there with us. Lefnei Hashem Tataru. I'll just end by the following remark. Um, the brachos and Klaus are very, very difficult. I've given a reading which I think gives a whole different way of, of understanding it. And the essence of what I said is one Pasuk in Tehillim. We say, Shiftecha umishantecha heimai nachamuni. The Pasuk, Shiftecha umishantecha, Shiftecha is a shevet, the rod. Umishantecha is the same rod which is a cane, which supports us. And David HaMelech says, so we understand when God supports us, that's a comfort, that's nechama. We understand and we appreciate it. What David Amelch says is that the shevet musar is also nechama. The worst thing is if God gives up on us. If God says, I just don't care anymore. You've sinned so much, I don't care. That's the worst thing. That's the most devastating thing. If God cares, and the covenant is eternal, and God punishes us because He wants us to come back, when we talk about Chobar Abayis, the Pesukim at the end of Devarim talk about Hester Panim. Hester Panim in some tragic epochs of history, you feel that God is not there. Vanochi astiras astira And it seems that God isn't there. Maybe at times of Chorban, maybe at other times, Holocaust. And the Kaddish Baruch Hu says, even there, Vamati kai God's not no longer with us. And God says, no, I'm there. I might be hiding my face, but I'm still there. The covenant is eternal. The covenant exists. There are difficult periods in history. Sometimes we understand that God is speaking to us. Sometimes we ignore that God is speaking to us. And sometimes we don't see God. And Akash Baruch says, I'm there. You say God is not there? I'm there. I'm hiding my face. I'm there. The second covenant is eternal. Shiftecha, Meshantecha, Hei Mayinachamuni.